The reading is taken from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 16 to 34. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus, son of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching? And with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who were ill and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but would not let the demons speak, because they knew who he was. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Annalise, for that reading. Hi, I'm, I'm Mark. I'm one of the team here at St. Michael's. It's my delight uh, to be speaking to you this morning, especially on this passage. And as I was um, shuffling my papers in the earlier service at the 9 a.m., uh, where generally we have a, a slightly older congregation, uh, I said they might want to also adjust their seats um, and get comfortable because um, I've got eight pages of notes and counting. So uh, uh, I, uh, I did caution them not to, uh, not to get out one of those neck pillows that you have on a plane and start pumping that up. Hopefully I can keep you uh, awake during the talk. My wife, uh, Mary Lois, is, uh, was formerly a TV journalist uh, and uh, for a while she traveled uh, the world um, with her job uh, had the privilege of meeting um, many uh, notable people close up. And one of the people that she uh, remarks upon often is Bill Clinton. Uh, and she recalls her, her encounter with Bill Clinton like this. She says that when he came into the room, it was though the whole room lit up. Such was his charisma. And some people have that gift, don't they? Some people are like that. They come into a room, they have that kind of smile. Uh, maybe that they, uh, you know, they have great looks, great voice, stature, stature. 
dress? Well, we know this about Jesus because Isaiah tells us that he had none of that. He had no beauty, no majesty, nothing, it says, to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we could desire him. And it reminds me of a, an 18th century evangelist, George Whitfield. George Whitfield was one of the founders of Methodism and was pivotal in the Great Awakening in America. And he preached to thousands in his day, often in the open air, to many, many thousands. Uh, an amazing preacher who could hold an audience. Um, but it says this about George Whitfield, who again was not particularly um, uh, arousing to look at, let's say. As a result of a nurse's neglect during the measles, he had a cast in his left eye, which later gained him the name Dr. Squintum. But it also had the curious effect of making everyone believe that the preacher's eye was upon them. Oh, would that we had one of those today. <laughs> Actually, what is said about George Whitfield is he was an amazing orator. And actually it's said by one contemporary commentator that uh, just by the way he pronounced the word Mesopotamia, he could make you laugh or cry or wail in repentance. Now, uh, Jesus had no glass eye so far as we know, uh, but uh, the people were amazed at his teaching. And literally that word amazed is actually they were blown away. You thought blown away was a modern expression. No, it's not. It's an ancient Greek expression. They were blown away by his teaching. Uh, and it's, they say it's because he taught them as one who had authority. And he, in this passage, we are going to look at how he has authority over our lives, authority over spirits, and authority over death. So let's get started. Authority over our lives. I'm going to go back to verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew casting a net into the lake. Come follow me, he said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, at once, they left their nets and followed him. Same with James and his brother John. Without delay, he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and they followed him. Look, we have no idea how long Jesus had been around on that beach had he known these guys beforehand. The way Mark writes it, it sounds like he just rocked up there one day and spoke to them. We don't know. But what is clear from this and the other gospels is when he did, when he does tell these guys to follow him, they immediately follow. He commanded such attention that even though James and John are there with their father, have an obligation to him in his fishing business, nevertheless, they just walk off. Perhaps they thought it was just for a few hours, a seminar maybe that Jesus was gonna run. We don't know. But what we do know subsequently is that it was for life. It was for good. 
It was for life. I remember as a young man, I became a Christian and I went home and told my mom. I said, mom, I've become a Christian. She said, don't worry, it's just a phase. You'll get over it. Uh, that was 50 years ago. It was for good. It was for good. They, James and John, particularly, walked out on a nice little uh, fishing business. They had hired men. They left a certain future for an uncertain one. James the Apostle, however, what a future. What a future. You know that in the Church of England alone, 546 churches are named after James the Apostle. John the Beloved, his brother, became the adopted son of Mary, the Madonna, the mother of Jesus. And he had the last word literally writing the last book of the Bible. My favorite, Andrew, patron saint of Scotland. Any Scots here? Amen. <laughs> Andrew has his own flag and a university. Not bad for a fisherman from the north shore of Galilee. Simon Peter, head of the church, the great basilica in Rome. Now those are frivolous outcomes of what happened on that beach that day. Because, you know, all of these guys, except John, became martyrs. But Jesus gave them this promise. He said, in the new creation, they would each sit on a throne, ruling a tribe of Israel. I'd make that trade any day. I would make that trade any day. And Jesus wants to transform our lives. He does transform our lives when he comes into our lives. For some, like the prison alpha supremo Paul Cowley, before he met Jesus, he had been expelled from school, he'd been homeless, he'd been in prison, and he'd become an army rascal when he got out of prison. That was all before Jesus called him. Today, Paul is bishop's advisor for prisons. And in 2015, he was awarded an MBE by Her Majesty the Queen for his services to ex-prisoners. For some, our lives, Jesus takes our lives and takes them on a whole new trajectory. But for others, it will mean giving up a successful career, whatever that might be. It may be to minister in the church or to uh, be in hardship or even lifelong singleness, poverty, even derision, and yes, even maybe martyrdom. Jim Elliott was a missionary to Indians in South America, and he's known in his life for having an incredible passion for Jesus and for the lost. And that ultimately led to his martyrdom at the hands of a remote Indian tribe in Ecuador. But he scribbled in his notebook a few days before he died. He scribbled this. You can go and see it on the internet. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Wherever Jesus finds you, he means to transform your life for life, for good. 
Secondly, Jesus has authority over spirits. So they come to Capernaum. That's their next stop. It's just probably just a few steps along the beach from where they were. Uh, Capernaum in Aramaic is Kapha Naum, two words. Kapha means village, Naum means peace. We say it as Capernaum. Well, the peace in this village of peace was about to be shattered. Verse 21, they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. And the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out with a shriek. You see, all was not as it seemed in sleepy Capernaum. Um, Matthew also writes in his gospel about this same incident, and he quotes Isaiah. Isaiah said this of Capernaum, it's the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light, and on those living in the shadow of death. The people living in darkness, Galilee of the Gentiles. You see, this was not a particularly um, uh, religious place. This is what theologian Al Cole has to say. He says, Capernaum, the scene of this miracle, was a proud city of unbelief. It's a strange commentary that the spiritual situation in Capernaum would allow a demoniac to worship in the synagogue with no sense of incongruity. Now, you can agree or not with Alan Cole, but one thing he does have to say is that Capernaum was not a thoroughgoing Jewish town. Now, I just want to take a slight detour here because really we need to talk about demons. Demons, really? Isn't that just how in that day, isn't demons just a way they would explain diseases, sicknesses that they didn't understand? Maybe this guy, as Jesus spoke, just had a fit or a seizure. Well, again, just back to Matthew, who again, writing about this very same incident, says, he went throughout Galilee, that is Jesus, healing every disease and sickness. The people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering pain, those having seizures, the paralyzed, and the demon-possessed. He puts that, he puts the demon-possessed in a separate category from the diseases. Now, another Bible commentator, Donald English, says this, difficult though it is for us modern scientifically-oriented cultures, we need to guard against the danger that the greatest achievement of the powers of evil would be to persuade us that they do not exist. Look, this stuff happens. Um, on a weekend away once teaching, um, as we invited the Holy Spirit to come, uh, someone who I didn't know from another church 
suffered as we did that in a spiritual attack. It happens. And you have to deal with it. But that said, I just give two warnings. Um, the first one is from the safeguarding manual which says, do not try this at home. Okay? In every diocese of the Church of England, there is an official exorcist to help with this sort of thing. Exorcist is not just the name of a movie. It is actually one of the functions of the church, one of the ministries of the church. The second warning is from Jesus. After he'd sent out the 72, they came back and they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Jesus slightly rebukes them and he says, don't rejoice that the demons submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. C.S. Lewis sums up these two uh, two different and opposing errors in this way. He says, the two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils is to believe, is one to be disbelieve in their existence, the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. An unhealthy and excessive interest in them. Wherever Jesus finds you, he wants to transform you in your spirit for good. The people living in darkness saw a great light and he means to transform the darkness in your life into light. Finally, the, he takes authority over disease and death. Again, back to Matthew where he quotes Isaiah. The people living in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. Speaking about Capernaum, the land of the shadow of death. So what is the shadow of death? Well, we know what death is. The shadow of death, well, is sickness. Verse 29. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand and helped her up and the fever left her and she began to wait on them. Luke is a bit more helpful when he describes this incident. He says, so Jesus, that is, bent over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. There's that word again, that spoken word, that word of authority. Now look, in the interest of time, I'm not going to elaborate any more on this. Uh, suffice to say that Jesus healed in those days and he still heals today. So wherever Jesus finds you, he has authority to heal. Authority over death. Authority over sickness. So then, in summary, Jesus has authority over our lives, authority over spirits, and authority over sickness. Okay, I need to make a couple of final points here. What was the result of Jesus speaking in authority? Well, it was revival. 
the future chapters of Mark's, Mark go on to describe that. Let's look at verse 32. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. The whole town gathered at the door. A couple of points. The first is obvious. The second is easy to miss. The first point is that miracles and healings draw a crowd. The whole town gathered at the door. Those who were sick, those who uh, were demon-possessed, gathered at the door. And then secondly, the reality of God's presence as demonstrated in Jesus brings the fear of the Lord. Here in Capernaum, in the Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living darkness, those in the shadow of death, they suddenly, this irreligious place, suddenly got religion. That evening, it says in verse 32, that evening, which evening? The Sabbath evening. When? After sunset. In those days, the days ran from sun, sunset to sun, sorry, sun, sunset to sunset. So the evening was the start of the next day. So the evening after sunset was the next day. It was no longer the Sabbath. I, it was, that is, it was not until the Sabbath was over that these irreligious people dared to leave their house to go and seek out the man of God and seek out their healing. Even the Gentiles stayed at home recognizing they needed to obey the law of God. Revival doesn't come that often, but certainly in our country, uh, one of the most recent incidents was on the Isle of Lewis in Scotland in November 1949. We know it as the Hebridean revival, and Duncan Campbell was a Scottish minister who was uh, heavily involved, was called to the island when revival broke out to help. And he was outspoken about two aspects of the work of the Holy Spirit. The first was this. He said that in his view, true revival was a move of God that affected not only church members, but the surrounding community as well. Work stopped, bars closed, crime ceased. In other words, holiness descended on the Isle of Lewis in the way that holiness, a fear of God, descended on the village of Nahum. You see, the fear of the Lord had come upon them, but they still kept coming. One of the most incongruous uh, verses or, or paragraphs in the Bible is this. In Acts, after Ananias and Sapphira had died, who had been judged, it says, no one else dared join them. That is the fledgling church in Jerusalem. No one else dared join them. Nevertheless, it says, the very next sentence, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. There was that tension between being 
aware of the holiness of God, but being so drawn to the power and the charisma of Jesus. In one example of that Hebridean revival, um, the night actually that Duncan Campbell arrived on the Isle of Lewis, he gives an example of this. He says, they just, they just had a church meeting that evening about nine o'clock. It finished about 11 o'clock. Nothing much had happened. But they sensed the presence of God. But when they opened the church doors to go out, there were 600 people outside waiting. And he says this of, of that group. One group of over 100 young people were at a dance in the parish hall and they weren't thinking of God or eternity. God was not in their thoughts at all. They were there to have a good night when suddenly the power of God fell upon the dance. The music ceased and in a matter of minutes, the hall was empty. They fled from the hall and made for the church. Duncan continues, I found one of them a young woman, a teacher in the grammar school, lying prostrate on the floor of the pulpit, crying, oh God, is there mercy for me? Oh God, is there mercy for me? These are Scots people. They're not known for frivolousness. Revival was a result of this authority. What was the source of this authority? Well, it's easy to say, well, it was Jesus, wasn't it? Jesus. Uh, and so, you know, what application does that have for us? Well, I would argue it has great application. Because first of all, Jesus said that greater, we would do greater works than he did. We've already seen he sent out the 72 with uh, authority to uh, cast out demons and to heal uh, diseases. And over the last few weeks, we've been through a series where we've seen how the story of Jesus has been building to this point. Jesus, uh, Rupert, in his sermon a few weeks ago, spoke about how Jesus withdrew, withdrew to pray, withdrew into the wilderness. I don't know if we can have that slide up now. Um, in the Hebridean revival, it's well attested that the revival began when two women, two sisters I believe they are, Peggy and Christine Smith, started to pray. One was 84 years old and blind. The other one was 82 and crippled with arthritis. They withdrew and they prayed. Revival came. Rupert spoke also about the empowering of the Holy Spirit at Jesus' baptism. And in the Hebridean revival, Duncan Campbell said that the second aspect of revival was the definite and profound experience of the baptism of the Holy Ghost subsequent to conversion. Last week, the message was, put Jesus back in the church. The King has come. Repent and believe 
And today, we're speaking about the authority of Jesus' teaching. The people were blown away by that teaching. But Luke says something very helpful. He says, they were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. He continues, all the people were amazed and said to each other, what words these are. With authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits and they come out. What words these are. We can pray. We can seek the empowering of the Holy Spirit. We can preach the gospel that the King has come. We can put Jesus back in the church. And we have these words. They're words of authority over our lives, over our spirits, and over sickness. German evangelist um, Reinhard Bonker ministered for many, many years in Africa until he died recently. He was a bit of a controversial figure, but I heard him preach as a young man, and this was one of his phrases. He says, Jesus' words in your mouth are as powerful as Jesus' words in Jesus' mouth. Jesus' words in your mouth are as powerful as Jesus' words in his mouth. Now that might be a little bit overstated, but I think you get the point. There is power in the words. His words had authority. Let's pray.